Well, thank you, Dr. Bridget Williams, for being here today. It's a pleasure. I've been looking over your book uh, over the last month or so since we scheduled this recording out, and it's been inspiring to read the different stories of the visionaries that you've had and the way cannabis has impacted their life. You you wrote about and have stories from a bunch of different people, Ed Rodens, Ed Rodensall, Jane West, Mike Tyson. Those are just a few names that I wrote down, but there's so many more just personal stories of moms, athletes, bringing cannabis together to the forefront, how it's changed their life. I love that. And you yourself, you're a board certified physician specializing in family practice and cannabis medicine. And so before we dive into the book, Courage and Cannabis, and what inspired you there to write that, I would just like to get a little bit more information about you from your, from yourself and who you are and and how you got into this cannabis space and, and providing medical cannabis for the people. Absolutely. So I appreciate being here and having this opportunity to talk about it. I don't, you know, people don't often ask that much about me personally. So what does one say, right? So originally from Detroit, probably is where I usually start. I got into family medicine, mainly my father had colon cancer when I was very young and died when I was 12. And I had this great deep desire to protect the patient, to represent them and be an advocate for patients because I felt like it was something that was really fumbled and missing when my father was ill as far as what I experienced as a child. So I, I was very much into helping the patient um, through through life's experiences. And as you go down the, the road of life and, and I finished training, was working, and I was a little disappointed, to be totally honest with you. I was at the Cleveland Clinic, and I was doing appointments every 7 to 15 minutes. That's not medicine to me. You know, it was diagnosis pill all day. One of those patients asked me, what did I think about cannabis? Thought she was a little crazy at the time, and I started doing my research. And in that, everything really started to change. So, so what was the, you said a patient asked you? about yes. your thoughts on cannabis. Would you say that was your turning point on like, okay, I'm not happy with the what you said, the every seven, 15 minutes, just mm -hmm. prescribe a pill and go diagnose and, and medicate. Sure. Was that the turning point or did you have interest before? And, and what was what gave you that interest into cannabis as an alternative form of medicine? Being a doctor, you know, because so, so many mm -hmm. times I can speak from experience, uh, being a uh, army veteran going through the VA, they are very anti-cannabis, especially depending on the state that you live in. When I first got out of the military, being back in Wyoming, my home state, very anti-cannabis. And when it came across that I was using that, my first couple doctors, I had some some really hard time with uh, dealing with them. Thankfully, I was able to get a new primary care that had a different vision and a different outlook on things and had a, it came from, they were Colorado native and then came up and worked in Wyoming and stuff. And not that they could prescribe it because they're under the federal government and everything, but they didn't have the negative outlook like so many other MDs do just in my personal experience and so many other people have had. So what made you different? What was your interactions with cannabis that made you see it in a different light? You know, I think it was my, my interest in patients being seen and heard. I think that's what the turning point was, right? Because to be honest, I was growing up and I my best friend's older cousin was this wild child with a crazy look in her eye. And, you know, she smoked all the time and she smelled like a cannabis all the time. And as a kid, I was like, whoa, cannabis is bad. Like, 
And as I, after this experience with this patient who's a breast cancer survivor and a new diabetic, and I really started learning about cannabis, and of course I already had, you know, good medical knowledge, I realized cannabis doesn't do anything that mm-hmm. I was experiencing from this from this woman at that time. I realized, and I went to my best friend, and she had never tried it either because we were so terrified from that same experiences. Yeah. It turns out that that woman was bipolar and she was this i had this empathy because she was this young girl who was trying to self-medicate and try to feel normal and no one could see the problem right we all just thought she was this crazy wild child and so that realizing that there's all these people that think they're being recreational so many young people, I think, are doing some self-medicate, self-medicating, and I wanted to be able to stand for them as well. So, um, yeah, before that, I didn't have a lot of positive feelings about it. But, you know, I walked with this, my patient, this diabetic and this breast cancer survivor. I learned about dosing. I saw how her life was changing. And not only that, I saw how her health was changing differently than my pharmaceutical patients. And so that's where I said, you know, I want to know more and I want to dig in. And honestly, in addition to that, because what I learned about cannabis and what it actually was was so different, I actually started looking at every preconceived notion I had around just holistic health and different things that people would bring to me. And as a physician, I'm like, oh, that makes, you know, that makes no sense. There's no evidence and, you know, what have you. I really started analyzing why. And I realized a lot of the things that I had preconceived notions about that I was taught was because it competed or somehow conflicted with the pharmaceutical company and and this drive for pharmaceutical medicine. And I then really just opened up and I said, what what are patients looking for? How can I help them? How can I, you know, use the information and the knowledge I have to keep them on the road? You know, you don't want people going off the rails. Right. And you need to know that things will work. But I felt like I could represent patients better by hearing and uh, seeing their needs in a very real way. Where's your clinic at so you can be my doctor? <laughs> you guys are uh, such a different... Yeah, so I'm, I'm in Ohio and I'm also licensed in Michigan. That's awesome. And the, is that... And you're... Uh, a medical cannabis prescriber as well, right? Like you're licensed to prescribe medical cards and stuff in those states. Mm-hmm. How is the medical market out in those states? Very different. I chose like the exact opposite, right? You know, Ohio is right now medical only. You know, it's on the ballot for November, right? We're probably considered one of the more conservative and uh, restrictive states. You know, sometimes that's a hassle and sometimes it's good because I do like the fact that we do a lot of lab testing. And so we know what we have. We know what's in it, right? You know, as far as medical diagnoses that people that should be approved and aren't, you know, how much you're actually able to obtain. And, you know, they they do make you jump through a lot of hoops. Then you go to Michigan, which, you know, obviously was medical and now recreational. Medical cards, you get them for two years instead of one, if you choose to do that. And it's a little bit more of the Wild West there. The The legacy market is thriving. And some dispensaries, unfortunately, are closing because of that. Mm-hmm. And the cottage inter- industry. So there, there's legacy 
But then there, I also call it the cottage industry, right? Like there are people sitting at home making barbecue sauces and cakes mm-hmm. and, all, you know, infused. And they found this to be their avenue to grow and build a business outside of the licensed regulated market. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're, they're very different, very different experiences. So, wow. Yeah. Michigan is some. I've had some friends that lived out in Michigan from Michigan and heard some yeah. different stories and stuff out there. Hey, cannabis has been around in Michigan for a long, long time. And so, yeah, when you speak about, I like that term, the legacy market. I'm going to steal. Legacy, I like yeah, I don't believe in saying black market, and I don't necessarily like really even saying illegal. You know, yeah. But legacy, and and keep in mind, one of the chapters in the book <laughs> is Johnny Curry who was honestly the biggest drug kingpin of the 19, you know, late 70s and 80s. And white boy Rick, which people are familiar with that story, ended up taking him and his brother down, is my cousin. And so I I grew up with these stories. I grew up with these stories of him being in this illegal, you know, situation. But over time, I realized that this was someone who had incredible business sense that he didn't necessarily have the education options that I did. Yeah. While he used his, if you want to call it street knowledge, business knowledge, whatever it is, and he created an incredible corporation, if you want to call it, right? With good with good with good business sense. And we don't give, you know, I understand that it's legal at the time, but it's not now. And we don't give credit to people that did live in this legacy market. Uh we don't do that enough. And, and the social equity opportunities are not strong enough or supported enough to really make a difference. It's a conversation we've had many times on the show of sure. what is social equity mm-hmm. when you look at it, especially in the cannabis space, because too many times, many people we have, a lot of people, we have the same ideas on what we all think social equity is, but then the way that the uh, the boards, the regulatory authorities then end up defining it is something completely different and then it ends up not even helping the people that that you would need to help in a social equity status it is neat to see you're talking you're talking about the was curse the curry you helped them launch their own brand Mm -hmm. so that's that's an exciting thing that i like to see and that we've been able to see with many different people from the legacy market i'm gonna steal i'm taking that term with you i'm I'm using that i like that that they've been able to transfer over into the legal into the legal market and Mm -hmm. if and had some success with it. How is the Curry Brands doing? Pretty good. I mean, it's it was very exciting because I guess, you know, when I looked at his whole story and and just our family and probably most of them never expected that, you know, the two of us would would uh, you know, be in cahoots, I, I I'm assuming over time. But I really looked at his story and I was like, his story's not over. And if we're writing this, and to be honest, they're actually working on a story right now. And I was like, you need to go from legacy to legal. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was important to me. You can only imagine trying to navigate the hoops of the industry when you used to create the rules of the industry, which is always really funny because he laughs at a lot of the things that we have to do. It can be complicated. So I knew that I knew the market well, and I wanted someone for him to work with someone that really respected who he was because he's a, an incredible, just great person. Mm-hmm. Gives so much back to the community. And so, uh, yeah, we did, did a little digging 
found the right person for him to partner with and no, he's done really well with it. The people that push the limits in the 60s, 70s, and 80s are the reason that we have a legal market today, I fervently believe. They were the pioneers. They were the people that said, screw the system. We don't care. We're still going to bring it. And, you know, they made a livelihood out of it for generations. There's, there's some, there's some pretty cool stories out there that I've heard of, of where, you know, it went for, gen, for, you know, a couple generations of this, they were just importing. There was no violence or anything with it. It was just bringing stuff to the people, what they wanted. But then as government and politics and, and a lot of it was, was racial division and racial fueled. And I hate that. We still have that. And, and that's why it does make me upset on the social equity side, because we're still being that way. Yeah. And, and nobody's learning from their mistakes. And so I love it that you're, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say that's part of the reason, besides I was so drawn to the stories of people in the cannabis space. And I felt like I related to their, uh, you know, there was this sense of people using it illegally, you know, and there's shame and guilt and embarrassment and all these things. And they were really looking to be seen and heard. And I really just really connected with them. And that's part of the reason I created the Courage and Cannabis series, not just to share these stories in an inspiring way, but I also wanted to document history. Mm-hmm. And because history will repeat itself. And if we don't have some sense of where we've come from or what people have experienced, history will repeat itself typically in in a worse way. So I'm hoping the book can have some significance in that way as well. How did you get in contact with all these different people? I did like a call for authors out on social media sites, but also for the last two years, I toured the country doing talks about cannabis and wellness and, you know, listened to their talks and met incredible people. And because of those interactions, the sparks, so the sparks are people in in the book that provide sometimes a shorter testimony, but they provide their input as having a voice in the cannabis space. And I wanted the people that have influenced me over the last two years to have, you know, a position in this book. And so, uh, you know, piecing it together, you know, one by one, I think we got an incredible, incredible group of people together. You got to interview a varied class of people. We were discussing that a little bit at the beginning. Well, I mean, it's all published. It's all public information. So for those listeners that haven't read it, what is maybe one of the one or two of those stories that really stood out to you as you were putting this together that, you know, have inspired you to continue your work because of just the difference that it had in someone's life? Is there any stories that stand out like that? Gosh, I mean, I really, really dug in with this book because it was really important that people could feel the emotion that a lot of these people experience. One, well, really, two that just hit me right away is the Toking Teacher, which is Bronwyn um, Scarberry. And just on the more activist side of things, she was a, I think, fourth grade teacher who uh, had some uh, physical discomfort and she was seeing physical therapy had had no desire to take pharmaceuticals. She was very careful with that. So she had a vape pen she would use right before going to physical therapy. She keeps it in her car. This one day she forgot to leave it in the car. And going from one room to the next, something hits the vape pen in her bag and it breaks open. Mm. So she runs out, she goes to the bathroom, cleans it up. 
Long story short, uh, when she was leaving for the end of the day, the principal, the police, and the superintendent are waiting for her. And they basically said, you know, they had put yellow caution tape over the bathroom and, you know, all of this craziness. And she was like, I don't use it. at Like, I, I left it in my bag. But she's not allowed to teach anymore. And if she does teach, after several years, she's allowed to go back, but has to do all this rehabilitation for being a drug addict. And a, wow. it's just a, an incredible story of survival, unnecessary and, and, and bias and it, just so many things that she's experienced and that and how it affected her life. You know, she never even touched it. it it broke in her purse, you know, yeah. but that always hits me. And then, of course, Nikki Lolly, who's fairly well known in the space, but she was a, a pediatric nurse. And one bad day, trying to help um, a child get an immunization, she ended up getting a head injury, like head butt hit the wall, come but like all of this craziness. She then ended up with post-concussion syndrome and a neck injury. And um, she has an invisible injury, you know, for how she's not able to process things the way she was before, no longer to work as a nurse. Suicidal. And she happened to be in Vegas and was going to jump from the balcony and a truck goes by. And it says, welcome to Nevada, try marijuana. And she was like, <laughs> so she was like, that's weird. And then another one comes by, try marijuana. You can do it in Nevada. And she yells out to her husband, we can go and smoke. And, you know, and it's, but she's joking. But her husband's like, maybe that's it. They yeah. took the sign. It changed everything for her. You know, she's able to interact and she was literally couldn't leave her room because of just how overstimulated she was. Mm -hmm. Now she does talks and is an advocate for a lot of athletes that deal with brain injuries. And so uh, those are two that just really touched me in a very significant way. I love that story. Mom's my Cannabis is very near and dear to me. Um, mm -hmm. It saved my life personally. I can testify with that so i have tbi from being employed in afghanistan and when i getting coming back from afghanistan um i still had a year i got medically discharged and got out i still had a year left in the military that year was one of the roughest years of my life mm. and trying to i couldn't process things correctly i had different different injuries and stuff and so just like you said the pharmaceuticals and stuff that it was on was not helping I was over in Germany at the time, so a friend had came back from Amsterdam, and I was in the military. I'm not going to lie, I did partake of cannabis while I was in. <laughs> I will never forget the day I was sitting. It wasn't it wasn't on base or nothing. It was off base at a friend's, uh, a friend's house uh, that was a local there. I was sitting on their couch upstairs, and I took a hit, and it was some sour diesel, and everything just like just made sense, and everything just came together and calmed down. And like, I just wasn't going so crazy anymore. Yeah. Got out of the military, came back to Wyoming. Cannabis is bad, you know? And so trying to be a good person, trying to, I was newly married, a brand new dad, trying to do the right thing, trying to get into a job, which is having a hard time 
and it was three weeks that I was, I didn't use any cannabis or anything for a month after the military, mm -hmm. got a job and lost that job and was not doing well at all. Met somebody, got cannabis and you know, I'm here today. I'm living proof of it. I'm an executive of a company, been able to start different companies, own some companies myself, running a podcast, meeting amazing individuals like yourself. And I owe it to the plant. Yeah. So that's when I was, I didn't read all the stories I did skim through and read it, mm -hmm. different ones, but I can identify with stuff like that. Cause if it wasn't for this plant, there's so many people you bring up like athletes, the invisible injuries of brain trauma, that's not seen on the outside. And it's really hard to relay that to another individual when you can't even put your own words together to explain how you feel. Absolutely. And there's and thank you for what you've done. And the fact that it is so hard for veterans to really come out and share their stories. You know, because mm -hmm. basically told not only not to do this, mm -hmm. but they, unfortunately the military and our government perpetuates the stigma. Yeah. And it's a big deal to come out and talk about it. I'm thankful for the different people. I've had I've had continual surgery since I've been out of the military with different things. Um, there were several times, like I said, with different doctors. If you you know you have a, you take your analysis before any type of surgery and everything, and if you came positive for marijuana, they didn't want to prescribe you any sort of uh, painkillers or anything afterwards, which is fine. I don't like using painkillers, but I've had some really intensive surgeries that you as a doctor know cannabis doesn't work for that the same way you know, hey. and so. Thankfully, I, I've been able to, and I, I think it's an act of God that he's put me in contact with different primary carriers where I've gone that are sensitive to cannabis, that know that it helps veterans that want to be able to prescribe it, but just don't. So, but they don't use it against you. They don't demonize you and use it as a weapon to take away your benefits, to take away your medicine, to take away your access. And they treat you like a normal individual and they don't treat you like a drug addict. And that's the important thing is that too many people that use cannabis get treated, like you said, like that teacher, they treat her like a drug addict and like it was a biohazard toxicity to the school with the yellow tape and everything. What is that? Like, it's crazy, you know? And there's so many kids that my sons, my sons know full well, I have two boys, 12 and 10, they know what cannabis is. But you know what they know it as? They know it as medicine because mm -hmm. I'm not a drug addict. They don't, I'm not doing crazy things. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not high out of my mind or anything. And I'm not nodding off. And I'm also very empathetic and I can connect and I can be there and be positive and be a part of their life where I couldn't be that way before. And Absolutely. they see the benefits of it, you know? And so it's you're super productive. You know, the biggest stigma is that you're, you know, couch locked someplace. No. And Without it, you probably would not be able to do nearly the things that you're able to do on America. No, no, man, not at all. Not at all. And, and there's so many, I mean, he's an amazing individual on his own, but the owner and CEO of the company that I work for now, he uses cannabis every day and he's an insanely productive individual, you know, I have a friend I won't mention, but he's in the, in the tech space. He uses cannabis and microdoses mushrooms and he is, oh my goodness, that man is an amazing individual, just an inspiration really. And so there's all these alternative medicines that I'm so glad where we're at right now in this revolution and this renaissance that some people have labeled it the second some people have labeled it the second psychedelic renaissance i like to think of it as an alternative medicine renaissance because finally we're getting people like yourself mds peace yes back. we're getting the medical piece back in that's what we missed before so my understanding so i do a regular show on roland martin's black star network every monday my understanding right now is that 
due to a lot of research around PTSD that MDMA will actually be FDA approved for, you know, medically um, by next year, which, you know, for a lot of people, it's a little shocking because it's, you know, ran right, you know, came up from behind and ran right past cannabis and kept running, you know. But there are these medicinal aspects of things that we have suppressed because it did not benefit the pharmaceutical industry. Yes. Yep. There's, there's right now, and thankfully I was able to use, I, uh, I use psychedelics uh, with some different people that taught me, I'd use them recreational, but then had a purpose behind some of them and it helped me break through on some issues that I was dealing with. And that that's a whole other conversation on its own, the healing power there. Mm-hmm. But it's cool. I found out think it was last year or maybe it was two years ago but there was a uh, there's a ketamine treatment clinic in denver that is authorized for use that the va will pay for that's what i was trying to get to the va will pay for it for veterans to go down and have ketamine treatment for chronic pain for ptsd anxiety depression tbi that alone when i found that out i was like man like if that could have been available when i got out back in 2011 how how much faster could I have got to where I wanted to be, you know, and it just gets that reset that you need to have to take you to unlock those new, the new potential and, you know, help you deal with not suppress it. And that's what I love about psychedelics. It's not suppressing. It does help you deal with, because that's too many times what pharmaceuticals do. So I've been on that side of pharmaceuticals. They just suppress it and don't allow you to deal with it. Cause that's what we have to do as humans. We just have to deal with the issues and then find out how we can make ourselves better because of them. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. We're, we're coming close to the end, but I still have a couple of questions I want to ask you. And so with you being in the medical marijuana space, you know, we're seeing a lot of states come on with new laws and I love it. Uh, we're finally uh, talking about rescheduling decriminalization on a federal level, but there's still a lot missing, I think, on the medical side, uh, as far as money going towards the proper types of research and then just all the protections for employees and stuff outside of uh, getting their medical card, you know, yes, hey, I got a medical card, I can use cannabis now, but what happens when I have an accident at work? You know, what happens when I get in a car accident or different things? What are you seeing kind of behind the scenes as a medical marijuana doctor that we need to fix and that's not being addressed? Gosh, I mean, so first and foremost, like the stigma is so live, river madness is thriving still and so there's a lot of education that needs to happen in the medical community in the in like human resources in in our workforce okay mm-hmm. we when we do change our scheduling from um schedule 1 to schedule 3 you know a lot of this is about preparing the pharmaceutical companies to now provide cannabis and so there's changing the tax bracket but it will also open up some doors for more research. Okay. So I'm hoping that we'll see that happen. But ultimately, our medical community needs to be educated. Our workforce community needs to be educated. If we had better testing options for metabolites that are high at, you know, when first used, but dissipate over time, we wouldn't have the issues that we have because right now you use CHC sits in your fat, you could have used it today or you could have used it three days or sometimes a month, you know, depending on the person. And, you know, if you have an accident or, you know, at work, they don't know what to do. Right. 
But if we can educate people better, help them understand what this means, um, have better testing options. The fact of the matter is, um, synthetic opioids are not even really tested at workforce urine testing. So you could be taking Vicodin like crazy mm -hmm. and just go right back to work. Where if clearly, if obviously you fail alcohol tests or t you know the THC metabolite, you're losing your job, and you might not have used it a while ago. You know, mm -hmm. so, but we won't get what we need if we don't change how people think. Because if they think differently, they're going to look for new things to be able to have people utilize this in a safer way. Education all day for everybody. Belief. I believe the same thing. Well, thank you so much, Shocker. I appreciate it. Appreciate your time, your words of wisdom, your support, being an advocate with the the level of expertise that you bring to it and the platform that you hold. I thank you for just letting your voice be known and and advocating for the patients because I see that. And so thank you for that. And thank you for your time today and uh, look forward. I'm gonna thank you for the copy of the book. I'm gonna continue reading it. I appreciate it so much, Courage and Cannabis. And you said it. Did I catch it? It's a series. Are you coming out with another one? This is book two. So oh, um, wait, that's book two, yes. really? Yeah. So book one came out December of 2021, and this is book two. You know, they're inspirational stories. I'm. Yeah. It's it's a passion project. I'm sure there's more to come. I love it. Uh, look forward to it. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. You too.